Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Christians love to sing about Jesus. Sweeter sounds and music knows, charm me in Emmanuel's name. Or, all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Or, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Why is this? Because we love him, of course. And that name contains all of what God is and a poor sinner needs. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we read, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In our message today, speaker Marvin Dirksen looks at this beautiful verse in depth, uncovering just a little of the wealth of meaning in that name. In verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin our reading. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or legally pledged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Amazing truth and a, an amazing moment for that man called Joseph. We're going to read another passage back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. We need to understand these words were written 700, 750 years before the event actually took place. And so these are amazing words. The words of Isaiah in chapter 9, and we'll read verse number 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. I'm sure Isaiah must have wondered at the magnitude of that name and the magnitude of the scope of that person. One final verse in the book of Philippians. Paul is describing the servant who humbled himself and who became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And in verse number nine of Philippians chapter two, he writes, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, one of the necessary items of every human birth is the giving of a name. If you're anything like myself, when you hear the news of a new traveler being born, 
you uh, almost invariably say, well, what do they call her? What's his name? Because we want to be able to identify them. It's interesting that some parents seem to have no trouble picking out names, maybe months in advance. You know, the given names identify us in a very personal way. But when a surname is added, when the family name is added, then all of a sudden there's an indication of a family tie. There is a connection. We begin to see the roots of this individual. You know, many times the mention of a name just doesn't identify the individual, but it's a revelation of what they're like, of what marks them. I think some names, when they're mentioned, you'll immediately link them with sports excellence or with money or fame or fortune, with academic excellence, with courage, military courage. And yet, sadly, sometimes names are linked with evil and sometimes with scandal. You see, names not only identify us, but many times they're a revelation of the details of our lives. Let me tell you tonight that names are important to God as well. He knows your name. He is aware of every detail of your life. He's the omniscient one. And so there is nothing that is hidden from his all-seeing eye. I like a verse in John chapter 10, which speaks of the good shepherd. And it just says he calls his own sheep by name. How personal, how intimate, how wonderful to be linked with a shepherd that knows our name. But you know, when we come to the Bible, we find that many times Bible names have meanings and have spiritual significance. And so when we come to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we find that the same is true of him. You know, we have read in Matthew chapter 1 about Joseph the carpenter who was living and working in Nazareth and who was legally pledged to marry a young virgin by the name of Mary. But a crisis came because a moment came when he discovered that she was pregnant. And that alarming news deeply troubled him. It came out of the blues, unexpected, and he really didn't know what to do about it. You see, they were legally pledged to be married, but the marriage ceremony had not yet been finalized. Their relationship had not been consummated. And so Joseph could not help wondering, has Mary been unfaithful? Has she been morally impure? And he hardly knew how to handle the crisis. But you know, at that moment, the angel of the Lord came to him with some amazing news that what was happening was part of an eternal plan, that Mary was actually carrying Emmanuel, God with us, and that the purposes of God were being fulfilled. And the angel of the Lord told Joseph, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So I'd like to speak about the name Jesus, because that name means Savior. I'm not sure what he means to you personally tonight, but I can tell you that for millions of people, the name of Jesus is the sweetest name on earth. I think it goes without saying that a Savior is one who rescues, who one who delivers, who sometimes might even risk their lives or sometimes tragically even give their lives in the pursuit and in the attempt to rescue somebody else. And anyone that has proven to be a Savior is of great value to those that are saved. The name of Jesus as Savior brings worship and thanksgiving from millions of hearts. And I'm included in that because we have come to know him as our Savior. We were able to say he loved me, how personal, and gave himself for me. What moves me is to think that when Jesus came from heaven, the mighty creator himself stepping into his own creation, he came personally and purposefully to actually deal with my sins to bridge the tremendous gap that existed between me and God. 
He came voluntarily to this world. I didn't ask him to come, and I certainly didn't deserve him for coming. And my dear friend, he came voluntarily. He came knowingly. He was well aware of the cost. He was well aware of the course of his life, and he knew that it would lead to a cross. And when he came, he came sacrificially, for he willingly shed his blood. He poured out his soul into death, and he died the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You know, that's why millions of people love to sing the words of a very well-known hymn, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. We love to sing hallelujah, what a savior. My dear friend, we desperately need a savior. We have not kept God's law. We have broken his commandments. We have not measured up to the standard that God requires. So we stand condemned before him. But I can tell you, there is a savior tonight, Christ the Lord, and he desires that you might receive him personally. So let me ask you, what does the name of Jesus mean to you? I mean, personally, is it just a name? Is it a swear word that you use his name all the time? Or can you say he means everything to me? Because he has died for my sins, and I love him. But you know, Isaiah's words concerning his name are already astonishing. Because these words were written seven centuries, or maybe even longer than that, before he actually came. Now, I'm a father and a grandfather, but I can tell you tonight very, very plainly that my wife and I did not sit down weeks or months before our sons were born and actually write out a journal as to what they were going to become. That would be absolute fiction. It didn't even cross our minds. Yes, as parents, we had hopes, we had aspirations, we had even some dreams for them. But there was no published book, not at all. But you know, the amazing thing about Jesus' life is that his biography was written before he was born. Hope we understand that tonight. His biography, the record of his life, of all that would pertain to him, that record was written before he was born. And as you look at the scriptures at the Old Testament passages, prophets that wrote about him and others, you will find that the place of his birth is clearly marked. It was going to be Bethlehem. The reality of his mother was indicated. She was going to be a virgin. His hometown for the first 30 years of his life was crystal clear. It was going to be Nazareth. The reception of people to him. Isaiah said that he's going to be despised and rejected of man, be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The realities of his death were indicated. It'd be by crucifixion. Now, the Jews stoned people by way of capital punishment. But it was the Romans that introduced crucifixion. And David, hundreds of years before it even happened, he writes, they pierce my hands and my feet. Yes, the timing of his resurrection was indicated. Three days after he died, he'd be raised again. These and hundreds of other details were given. And all these prophecies and all these indications were perfectly fulfilled to the letter. But you know, Isaiah's words are especially astounding in view of the name that was going to be given to this child. To me, it's like a cluster of diamonds. Five astounding, wonderful names, all pertaining to Christ, the Messiah. And so Isaiah picked up his pen and he began to write, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah started with the name Wonderful. Wonderful. Now, we usually use wonderful as an adjective to describe something that's good, something that's great, 
something that's enjoyable, and so many times we might be able to speak about a wonderful holiday. It was a wonderful holiday. I'm so glad we went. Well, we understand what we mean. But when Isaiah uses that word wonderful, it's not an adjective. It's a noun. It stands alone as one of the names of Christ. You see, the name actually means marvelous. It means secret, and it does mean full of wonder. Wonderful, full of wonder. And if you have read the gospel records, and you've looked at the treatment of Christ in the Bible, you will have to admit that everything that pertains to him was full of wonder. Let me remind you that there was wonder at his birth. Those humble shepherds came to where Christ was. They were overwhelmed by what they saw. They were amazed by what they heard. And when they left, they told everybody about what they had heard and seen. And the Bible says, all they that heard them wondered, wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Wonder at his birth. There was wonder at his ministry. Jesus had gone back to his hometown of Nazareth. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue. And that day he opened up the scroll and turned to a passage that spoke of him. He rolled the scroll back, put it down, sat down, and he said these words, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. What an amazing moment that something had been written hundreds of years before was now being fulfilled in their very midst. And the Bible says, Those that heard him wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his lips. Everywhere he turned, there was wonder. There was amazement. They marveled at all that he was. But let me just remind you that there was wonder at his death. You know, when individuals would be crucified, many times it would take hours for them to die. Sometimes men struggled for several days, struggling to breathe in the midst of the agony of that horrific death. But you see, when it came to Christ, the news came back to Pilate that he had died, just a matter of hours. And it says, Pilate marveled that he was dead already, dead already. You see, Pilate was unaware that the Lord Jesus could say, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. And my dear friend, he died in perfect control. He breathed his last. He gave up the ghost. He commended his spirit to God, and he died as the payment for our sins. I can tell you that every aspect of his life was full of wonder. But Isaiah says he'll also be called counselor, counselor. Now, we have all kinds of counselors today. We have financial consultants. We have marriage counselors. We have career advisors. There are schools, and they have school counselors. And then, of course, when tragedy strikes, we're very thankful for grief counselors. These are individuals with expertise, with sage advice. And yet, despite all that they would seek to do and all the help that they would seek to give, sadly, the big problems of our life and of this world are still unsolved. They do their best, but many times we likely would wonder, is this really what we should do? Is this the best solution? Is this really the way that we should go? Here's a name, my friend, that you can trust. He is called the Counselor. You see, he is the mighty creator himself. He's the architect of all that he has made. And because he is the architect, he has the full master plan. And he has the full master remedy and solution for all the issues that face us. Yes, he has exposed our sin. He's revealed our guilt. He has made us aware of our hopelessness and of the condemnation that is facing us. And yet in the greatness of our needs, he has come so close because he himself is the counselor to provide a wonderful remedy. 
And you know, I was thinking today that you can trust his counsel because he always tells the truth. He cannot lie. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try and paint a false picture. He always tells the truth. And so you can trust him. But you know, you can follow him with confidence because he has the full picture. He knows exactly what you're facing. He knows exactly what you need. And the amazing thing about following his counsel is that it's not only trustworthy, but you see, the counselor goes with us. That thrilled me today. And I couldn't help but think of the 23rd Psalm where the psalmist is writing and he says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You know why? He says, you are with me. You are with me. And the counselor not only gives advice, he goes with us. What a tremendous counselor he is. And my dear friend, you can enjoy his counsel. You can trust it. You can follow it. Because as for God, his way is perfect. But Isaiah writes, he's going to be known as the mighty God, the mighty God, the El Gabor. You know, sadly, the nation of Israel thought he was only a man, just a man, the carpenter's son. And ultimately, they thought that he was an imposter, that he was a blasphemer. He claimed to be God. And so they turned against him. And ultimately, they demanded that he would die. And they weren't content until he was hanging upon a cross. But my dear friend, they should have recognized that Jesus Christ was more than a man. He was the one that was able to raise dead people back to life again. He was the one that was able to give eyesight to blinded eyes that had never seen. He was the one that was able to lift burdens and change lives for the best. They should have recognized that he was more than just a man. You see, the Lord Jesus himself could say, I have power to lay down my life, and I have power to take it up again. And just as he said, three days after dying upon that cross, on the first day of the week, we call it Easter Sunday morning, up from the grave he arose as the victor, as the triumphant one, and as proof that what he claimed to be and what he said was substantiated, was absolutely true, was trustworthy. He is the eternal Son of God, the mighty God, the El Gabor. You know, there was a a disciple by the name of Thomas, and the others said, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. He's alive. And you remember that Thomas says, well, I have to have evidence. I just can't take your word. I have to see the prints. I actually have to touch them. And you know, a week later, the Lord came and stood before Thomas. He said, Thomas, there it is. Have a look. You can touch them. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas, from the depths of his soul, with worship, he said, my Lord and my God. He was acknowledging that the man who stood before him was more than just a man. He was the eternal Son of God, the mighty God of eternity. But Isaiah gives us a fourth name. He's known as the everlasting Father. That means the Father of eternity, the Father of the ages. You know, we're living in a very transient world. It's changing. There are a lot of things that are running down. There are a lot of things that are running out. And we are facing some very critical factors in our life. But in the midst of all this change and uncertainty, there is one constant, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great I am. Not I was, but I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty and conflict in our world, he stands because his purposes are going to be fulfilled. You see, history is his story. His story. The things of this world are not out of his control. They're right on track. And I trust you may understand and appreciate that he is the everlasting father. But you know, Isaiah, he concludes with maybe the sweetest name. 
because when Christ would come, he would be known as the Prince of Peace. He's the Shalom of Heaven. You remember, that was the message that the angels gave on that night outside of Bethlehem. The angelic chorus is, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward man. Ah, but you might say, that's one place that Christ has failed. This world has not known peace for centuries, and even tonight is still in turmoil. Conflict, and hatred, and wars, and fear, and unrest. And you know, that's true, isn't it? We're living in a sad world. And whether we look at the world as a whole, or we look at individual countries, or we look at human government, world governments, or we look at cities, or we look at homes, or then we come right to where we are and we look at the human hearts, there's very little peace tonight. Lots of uncertainty, lots of fear, but no peace. No peace. Do you know there's a reason for this? There's a reason for this. There's no peace in this world because this world as a whole has rejected the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. He came to bring blessing. And yet the world said, we don't want this man. And so they nail him to a cross. But let me tell you tonight, that peace is still available. I'm talking about inner peace. And a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 tells us, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being cleared of every charge, having condemnation lifted, having our sins forgiven, brings peace to troubled hearts. And for almost 50 years, that's a long time, but for almost 50 years, I have enjoyed and experienced peace with God. It's all found in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the good news of the gospel is the gospel of peace. Those that bring the gospel are able to preach peace by Jesus Christ. The Bible says he made peace by the blood of his cross. And tonight you are being offered, you personally are being offered the peace of forgiveness, the peace of reconciliation, the peace of nearness, the peace of assurance that all is well for eternity, that God is your Father and heaven is your home. I need to tell you tonight that there are dark days of judgment ahead. As you read the book of Revelation, you will find that the judgment of God is coming. The awful period of time known as the tribulation is coming. God is going to judge this world in righteousness because of their rejection of Christ. But there is a moment coming when the Prince of Peace is going to return, and he is going to establish a kingdom of peace such as this world has never known. As Isaiah writes of the eternal future, he writes these thrilling words of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. Those words thrill me, because my dear friend, the Prince of Peace is going to reign. You see, that's why when we come to Philippians chapter 2, it says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I need to tell you that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But do you wonder why now Christians love his name? You see, the wonder of his name is because of the wonder of his person. He's altogether lovely. And if you have never received him as your personal savior, if you've never come to value his name and what he has done for you, I trust that tonight, just as a guilty, lost, helpless sinner, you might turn to Christ. You might receive him personally as your savior and come into the eternal blessedness of knowing that Christ has died for my sins. 
What a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. Our question to you before we close is, what do you think of that name? What does Christ mean to you? Is it precious? Is he precious? Not if you have never come face to face with him and bowed to him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Trust him as your Savior today and join with the multitudes of believers who love the name of Jesus and who will praise him and serve him forever. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.